Okay, uh, what a wonderful day uh, that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Good morning, Senior Pastor. Good morning, Pastor Ho. And um, we're going to be talking about the glorified Christ today. Uh, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. Now, we know that the glorified uh, Christ has all authority. Um, Matthew 28, verse, verse 18 and um, the NIV says, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Uh, now, this lesson uh, describes John's vision of the glory of Jesus Christ and exalts his holy name. Now, if we mention the book of Revelation, um, people who do not attend church or read the Bible, will suddenly become interested in the conversation, no matter where you go. As, as soon as you say Revelation or the book of Revelation, it, it draws attention. People want to talk about it. People want to have a conversation. Uh, Christians, especially new followers of Christ, want to study it. And we know that movies with end-time plots often use parallels from this book. Uh, People want to know about the future and how it will affect them personally. But what many fail to realize is that Revelation also speaks to the present and provides confidence to face today. It is easily one of the most complex, I mean one of the most complex and at times one of the most frustrating books of the Bible. And we can attest to that. Oftentimes when you read it, Sometimes it becomes even more confused. You become more confused than actually more clear as to what you're reading about. Um, it contains prophetic messages commun communicated through types, symbols, imagery, uh, figurative language that are often difficult to understand. Uh, it is also a letter written to people facing rejection from the culture in which they lived and persecution from the government that repressed their lives, not unlike many believers across the globe today. So we can actually see in parallel, you know, the lives of or early Christian brothers and sisters, and we can actually look at it today and see how things in certain parts of the world have not really changed. Uh, proper understanding of this New Testament book requires a proper understanding of the Old Testament, especially the apocalyptic uh, sections uh, like in Daniel and in parts of uh, Ezekiel. It is God's message written to people in crisis, suffering Amen. oppression, adversity, and persecution. Let me say that again. It is God's message written to people in crisis. This is the book of Revelation, written to people in crisis, suffering oppression, adversity, and persecution. It is God's response to those who question the anguish of the righteous and the seeming prosperity of the wicked. Revelation reminds us that history is still his, H-I-S, story. It means Jesus' story. The end has already been predetermined. From the beginning of time, God Amen. knew how everything would turn out. Yes. And yes. he planned for it. The same God who has been with us in the past is already in the future 
preparing or final vindication. We may not understand every detail. However, the goal is to comprehend what we can and allow the Holy Spirit to make it alive and applicable to our lives and witness. And we're going to be kind of following a, uh, uh, an outline. Uh, the first uh, senior pastor is John's vision. The second, the glory of Jesus Christ. And the third, authority of the risen Christ. Can you go ahead and talk about John's vision? Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. What a beautiful lesson we have today. And I'd like for everybody to drink of it. Don't even leave a splash in the cup or in the glass. Drink everything because um, we need to know what is being said. We need to know why it's being said. And after listening attentively over the past couple of weeks to what the Bible said, we now turn our attention to the God of the Bible, the God of the church, died and risen not only risen, but glorified. We are talking about the glorified God, and John had that vision of him. Um, Verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, and note that, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent... And signify it by his angel unto his servant, John. Now, um, John had a vision, a revelation here. And um, you may be wondering, what is revelation? Now, revelation is very important. Revelation is something that is made known, something that you get, something that comes in, in this sense. It comes from above, and it make known um it's something supernatural knowing something supernatural now um there are many here and many debate going on as to who is the authorship of this book um it is said that it was probably written at the end of the first century Some have noticed, and you can note today, the intense language and grammar in this book that they are very different from the Gospel of John and John's epistles. But um, some speculated that it might have been John Mark, the writer of the second Gospel, um, who was traveling companion of Paul, or it might be John, the elder, or the apostle who wrote this book. Now, the writer here says that the author had to be well known since he is identified only as John, a fellow servant. Now, um, Revelation was written under very trying circumstances and surroundings. As Pastor O said, it was written to those in crisis. And we will examine this. These conditions would affect an author's writing style. While authorship does not come only in inspiration, the Apostle John is the most likely candidate 
and the one the early church accepted of the writer of Revelation. So John the Apostle, John the Beloved, John the Elder. Like most letters, there is an introduction. And note here that John revealed that this is a note. You can mark that down. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we as Christians, we must have a revelation of Christ. Every child of God must have a revelation of Christ, who he is, what he means to you, how he's coming back, as Peter did when, when Jesus was about to go back and he asked them, first, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say this, some said that thou art Elias, some said that thou art prophet, some said so and so. And he turned to them and said, who do you say that I am? And they couldn't answer him, but like a, a light bolt from heaven, Peter got the revelation, and he says, I know you. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus turned and said to him, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. So it's very important that we have a revelation of Jesus Christ, who he means to us, what he means in Scripture, what he means to the church. It's not a revelation or another person's revelation. It is a revelation that originates from God, mediated to Jesus, not to, he was the media outlet, not to CNN or MNSBC or Fox, but to Jesus Christ. It is the unveiling of the glory of Jesus Christ. That's why we're talking about the glorified Christ. All right? The sovereignty of God, the activity of the Spirit, the hope of the believer, the corruption of this world order. Yeah. The corruption of this world order, all of that is in this, this um, epistle here. And the final vindication of God's promises when he comes back. It is also affirmation that God's saints, of whom this revelation is intended, will be rewarded and evil will be punished. He said, Behold, I come quickly and uh, I have my reward, my hand full of reward to give every man according as their work shall be. And we know that the righteous will be into heaven and the unrighteous, the evil, will be punished. Revelation comprises the entire book given to help the servants of God understand that there are things which must come to pass suddenly and quickly. And don't we see that right now? Coming to pass Amen. quickly and suddenly. Before the full revelation of Jesus Christ upon his throne. However, we must realize that shortly is not in terms of our finite view of time. Because a day is like a thousand years to him and a thousand years is like a day. So he decides that, not us according to our finite thinking. But rather eternity and God's plan. The focus is on continually living out our weakness until it is fulfilled. Let me say that again. The focus that we should have is continually 
living out our weakness, and our weakness is that Jesus saves, he keeps, and he's satisfied. And we must continue to do that, that there is a Savior, and if, we, if those who believe in him will be saved, those who believe not will be damned, will be turned into an eternal punishment. We must continue to convey that message until it is fulfilled because he's coming back for the church and the church must preach the gospel until he comes back. Oh, one can only imagine and let your mind think today what an awesome and terrifying task it was to record this revelation. Just go into a class and try to write down things and see how difficult it is, especially if the teacher is talking fast, especially, you know, some words are hard to spell and that sort of thing. So what an awesome and terrifying task it was to record this revelation. Their record come from the word for martyr, one who testified with his or her life. God knew this was a vital message to be shared with the church, the word of God. And that's why I say to you from time to time, preaching a simple gospel message that Jesus saved is different from preaching to the church because the church message comes from God and it must be communicated the right way. All right? Um, Testimony of Jesus Christ had to be communicated to someone with experience, credibility, and authority. These are not two different messages, but rather two aspects of the same message. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the word of God. Let me say that again. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the word of God. Oh, thy word became a lamp. In the beginning was the word. The word became flesh and dwell among us. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the word of God and nothing else. You can't add to it, you can't subtract, subtract from it. John was the perfect messenger. He told readers of his first epistle that he heard, saw, touched, and experienced firsthand the earthly ministry of Jesus. All right? That's what his testimony was in the first message that he told them or the first writing that he told them. He said he was a witness in the fullest sense of the word. The word is full of spiritual, expert, with simple answers and memorized presentation. It has become tiresome. Instead, people need to hear from those who have engaged and experienced Jesus Christ and his redemptive power. Those who are ready to turn the world upside down. Not what not somebody else experienced, but your own experience of Jesus Christ when you were down, when you were lost, when you were without hope, and he saved you. That's the experience. Some people testify that they were ready to commit suicide, but the Lord saved them. That's your testimony of what the Lord has done for you, and we must always be ready to give our testimony. It's not something that you study. It's not something that you have to read about. It's your own experience of how you met the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And we must be ready to give that testimony. That's what happened to John here. John got it, and he was ready to, after listening attentively, he was ready to give this testimony 
of Jesus Christ. Uh, here the blessing is provisional. Those who read, including those who read aloud the word of prophecy to the congregation, are called blessed. We are blessed. Amen? As well as those Amen. who hear. The two things to make note here, Pastor Ho. Those who read the word and those who hear the word. Because right. some people don't hear it. And hearing means that we understand and embrace the message. We understand and embrace the message. How can they hear without a preacher? How can they preach except they be sent? Um, when this letter was first received by the churches, an individual would read it aloud to the entire congregation. And you have said that over and over again, Pastor O. And Brother That's Davidson right. also said that. When we are gathered together, we are gathered to read the word of God. Some people say, oh, you don't have to read it, it's too long. But that's what they used to do when it that's was they used to do. Um, communicated to them. The reading was not an act of, was, sorry, the reading was an act of corporate worship. It was not just the presentation of a literary do document, but an encounter with the living word of God and all its power, provision, blessings, and warning, power, provision, blessings, and warning. All right? We are reading the word. We sing. We pray. We praise. When we, when we are gathered together on a Sunday morning, we read, we sing, we pray, we preach, and we praise the Lord. And that's what we are asked to do. Um, Tony Garland said, John mentioned he was in the spirit, indicating that what he is about to describe involves supernatural revelation by means of a vision. John didn't write this book. He recorded the book. Some people say mm. you mustn't write. I encourage all of us to write. Listen to the spirit. Write what the spirit is saying to you. If John didn't write it, if he didn't record it, then it would have been lost. So sometimes Amen. the Lord, the Spirit is going to wake you up in the middle of the night. Um, whatever he tells you, don't trust your memory. Get turn on the light. Get pen and paper and write what the Spirit is saying to you. We need some more people who will write what is going Amen. on. Um, the, less, the, the message here was sent. And what's the salutation? To the seven churches which are in Asia, uh, minor. Grace to be unto you, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is and which was which and which is to come. And we're going to get into that. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. The greeting and character of the book mark Revelation as a pastoral epistle. As a pastoral epistle from the pastor's mouth to the congregation. The seven churches receiving this letter and we will name them a, a little bit later, were in Asia Minor, which was governed by Rome. Several congregations are mentioned in the New Testament. However, these seven were chosen by God to be the first recipient of this letter. Awesome. The number seven in Scripture usually represents perfection or completion. Remember that. We have said that over and over again. Seven in Scripture means perfection or completion. As with all scripture, 
although the letter was sent originally to these seven churches, God intended for it to be embraced by and beneficial for all believers across the ages. So it was not Amen. only meant for the seven churches in Asia, but for all the church of God everywhere, for every believer in Christ. This message is for you as well as it was for them. John expresses his desire for the readers to be blessed with grace, which means undeserved favor that saves and sustains us, and peace, which means it's a restoration of harmony with God that produces an abiding confidence in God, regardless of the circumstances. The source of these blessings is clearly identified as the Godhead. First, though, not mentioned by name, the Father is the one who controls and owns time and eternity. God is the one who controls and owns time and eternity. The great I am of Exodus 3.14. He was with us, and listen to this church, he was with us in the past, is with us now, and will be with us in the future. Don't you ever forget that. Coming from way back down there, he was with the church, he is with the church now, and he will be with the church in the future. He's not about to run off someplace and, and leave us. He cannot be kicked out of office. He doesn't have a term limit. He was in the past. He is here now, and he will be with us in the future. And that's gratifying to know that we can have him with us. I must have the Savior with me. Second, the Spirit is identified as the seventh Spirit which are before his throne. Zechariah 4.2 is the foundation of this, whereby where the Holy Spirit is represented by the number seven. There is also a connection with Isaiah 11.2, where a sevenfold manifestation of the Holy Spirit, which is the sevenfold abiding manifestation of the Holy Spirit, we are covered from head to toe. Abiding presence, wisdom, understanding, Counsel, knowledge, strength, reverence of the Lord, and it, that enables the Messiah to accomplish his ministry. Some have thought incorrectly that there are seven Holy Spirits. That's not true. We know that that's erroneous. They're all no. operating in one. A person may be a daughter, wife, mother, and sister, but there's still one person who functions in many roles. And let me simplify that. First Lady Dion is Brother Campbell's daughter. She's the wife of Orlando McFarlane, mother of Kiana and Alyssa, sister to all the other children and that Brother Campbell have. But she's still one person. She's still Dion who functions right. in many roles as a daughter, as a wife, as a mother, and as a sister. All right? So we need to know that. So are some of you. Third, Jesus Christ is clearly named and identified by a threefold title and description of the ministry of salvation. We're not talking about the Holy Spirit here. We're talking about 
Jesus Christ. And um, he was classified by John as a faithful witness who manifested the truth and love of God even in death as the ultimate, ultimate witness or martyr. He, second, number two, the first begotten of the dead, who is the resurrection and the life, and as the first fruit, the pattern by which believers are made alive. And number three, he is classified as the prince or ruler of the kings of the earth, who legitimately has received through obedience and death what the devil offered him as a reward for false worship. He is the wow. king of kings and the lord of lords. Um, John said, first, he is the one who loved us while we were in sin and continues to love us even now. And we can say amen to that. Second, amen. on the basis of his love, he cleanses and frees us, washes us from our sins, breaking the chain of guilt and bonded by virtue of his blood. It is not a pronouncement alone that changes our status. His blood actually makes us free from our sins. Amen. His blood Amen. makes us free from our sins. If you're not free, you need to get a dip in the blood of Jesus. Cleanse you. Amen. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood Nothing of Jesus. Blood. Number three, Amen. third, because of his spiritual freedom, we are established, made as a kingdom of priests. A better translation might be king and priest unto God. This is a fulfillment of the promise of Sinai, which the church has inherited. Israel failings commission because of Jesus Christ, the church will not fail. Will not fail. The church will not fail. We cannot overstress that path to hope. The church will not fail. He said the gates of hell shall not prevail. So no matter what it is, all those who come up against the church, the church will not fail because he is the only one who shed the blood and he said it is finished. Man's redemption is complete. I have complete. purchased it with my own blood. As priests, one of our function is to bring people into the presence of God. And I want to pause here. One of our function, the function of the church, members of the body of Christ, is to bring people into the presence of God. It doesn't matter who they are or what they look like or where they're coming from or whatever situation. Just bring them to church. Bring them in the presence of God and make sure that Amen. the Holy Ghost is present and the Spirit of God will take charge. The Spirit of God will change lives. We can't change anybody, but this presence and the Spirit of the Lord will change everybody. We cannot take someone to a place with which we are unfamiliar. If we are not familiar with the presence of the Lord, if we have never felt the Holy Ghost, how are you going to take somebody to feel that? You yourself must feel Him first, so that when you are talking, the Holy Ghost is working through you. A clear declaration of Christ's deity because of his magnificent love and provision to him, belong praise and honor, glory and power and might, dominion both now and throughout all ages until eternity. And like John, we must declare amen. And notice the underlying theme, and Albert Barnes said, praise now is one of the great duties of the redeemed. It will be their employment forever. And the theme says, behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierce him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so come Lord Jesus. 
Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, said the Lord, and I'm cutting it up, which was and which is to come, the Almighty. The primary theme of Revelation is twofold. The return of Jesus Christ, the sovereignty of God is number two. The two are, you cannot separate them. All right? In Christ's life, there is a strong connection between the suffering and the glory, the crucifixion and the return, the personal poverty and provision for the saints. In other words, his wound became his medal of vindication and glorification. And we always say by his stripes, by his wound, by his stripes, we are healed. And the same is true for us today. And John went on and he went on and on. But I'm going to turn the rest over to Pastor Ho. But listen here before I do. Um, this song that is now in that. And Albert Barnes again said, Praise now is one of the great duties of the redeemed. It will be their employment forever. Let me say mm. that again. Praise now is one of the great duties of the redeemed. Those of us who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We should be praising God. In sorrow, we must be praising. In sickness, we must be praising. Money or no money, we must be praising God. It will be their employment forever. That's what he calls us to do, is to tell his message, is to carry the message, and to praise him forever. If we can't praise him and look what he has done for us. Who else should praise him? The church needs to be praising God some more. Sometimes we come to church and we sit down like we have no life. We must praise God. After this pandemic is finished, I want to see everybody coming to church and lifting your hands in worship because you could have been dead and gone. But we need Amen. to be praising God. Like John, we often find ourselves in the midst of a barren land or doing the right thing. However, there's an old song that says, Standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. He's a friend who always cares and understands. Standing somewhere in the shadows, you will find him, and you'll know him by the nail prints in his hands. Again, like John, we know this to be true. Praise the Lord. We will Amen. praise him until we have no more breath leave. We will praise him until he comes. God bless you, Pastor Ho. Over to you for the next segment. Uh, now, in Revelation chapter 1, thank you, Senior Pastor, uh, verse 12 through 16, talks about the lampstands and the presence of Jesus Christ. In verse 12 it says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. The voice captivated John's attention, so he turns to discover the speaker. But his first recorded observation does not address the source of the voice. The seven candlesticks, the seven golden candlesticks or lampstands, 
are later revealed to represent the church in Revelation 1 verse 20 and serve to remind us that the church is to reflect the light of God's presence to a world of darkness. That's our modus operandi. The church is to reflect the light of God's presence to a world of darkness. And we know that light reveals things. Amen. Right? When you're in darkness, when the light is turned on, it, it, it reveals, it illuminates the room, the area that you're in, and it reveals things to you. Uh, light reveals things as they truly are, not as we may perceive them to be. And that's the problem that we have in the world today. Everybody has a perception Everybody has a perception of things. Um, but it's saying here that we should follow the light. It reveals imperfections and flaws, but illuminates the pathway that leads to God. Now, John Hagee said the fundamental principle of Christianity is to be what God is. And what is he? He, he is light. The fundamental principle of Christianity is to be what God is. And he is light. Um, so standing in the midst or middle of the churches, John saw one like unto the Son of Man. And this is outlined in verses 13 through 16. John describes the Son of Man. The description is symbolic and points to the characteristics of Jesus and his ministry. First, the long robe is associated in Scripture with the priesthood and kings. Second, the robe is bound to his chest with a belt that was inlaid or overlaid with gold. This belt usually served three purposes. The first is it fastened a garment for labor or service. The second provided protection in battle. And the third had a pocket for carrying money. It reminds us of God's, of Christ's dignity honor, protection, and provision. It reminds us of Christ's dignity, honor, protection, and provision. Third, the whiteness of his hair, in verse 14, points to his purity, stability, and wisdom associated with age. Fourth, his eyes penetrate to the heart of the matter in righteous judgment. Fifth, the shining brass and alloy of fine gold and silver radiate his glory in verse 15. Six, his voice is one of majesty and power and authority. Seventh, in his hand he holds seven servants that do his will and work. Eighth, out of his mouth proceeds the sword of the Lord, the word of God, which both judges and heals. Finally, his outer appearance reflects not only his glory, but also his authority over all creation, like the sun shining in its strength. His authority over all creation. That's something that jumped out at me, Pastor, um, in that, you know, everybody's seeking for power. Everybody's seeking for authority. But Christ here is categorized or labeled as having all authority over all creation. Um, and so now we go to Revelation 17 through 20. Senior Pastor, do you want to kind of uh, 
yes, Christ, an overview of that, and then I'll, I'll conclude it. Amen. The authority of the risen Christ, he raised with power. And um, can you imagine the scene? John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And, laid his, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of hell and of death. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. What power. And um, John could only do anything. It was the most appropriate thing to do. Put yourself in his place. God's glory and the presence drained him of all physical strength. Oh, when we see him, I wonder what we're going to do. We're going to fall down and worship him. Worship. It was a symbol and act of imparting strength, power, and a commission. He hears words he heard many times from Jesus. Do not fear any longer. Amen. Jesus Amen. identifies himself as the sovereign one in, mo- in whom all things begin and end, the first and the last. Clearly, he is the one who conquered death and is now the living one. Now, we know from Scripture that he was not the first one to be raised from the dead, but the others right. died. There were seven others before him, but they died again. But Jesus is the only one to remain raised from the dead and is still alive for all time and eternity. As a matter of fact, he told them, you couldn't kill me. I gave my life. I laid it down so that I might take it up again. They didn't resurrect him either. He left the garments there, and he got up out of the grave, um, wrapped him together, and was ascended to his father. He truly made an open spectacle of death and those behind his power. He alone now possesses the keys of hell and of death. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Right. And then he told John, he said, these things that you see, these things that you are experiencing, write them. Write Write the things which thou art seen and the things which are and the thing which shall be hereafter, the mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. The seven stars are revealed as the angels of the seven churches, which telling us that each church have an angel assigned to the membership of that church. So you are not alone, my friends. When, when hell back you up, when darkness is all around you, apply, appeal to one of those angels. You have an angel that is surrounding you. Oh, bless the name of the Lord. That angel that is sent from God is ready to destroy anything that come up against you. Amen. Angel also Amen. means messenger. So it could be viewed as a reference to the pastors of the congregation, especially since John is to write to the angel in charge of each church. There's an angel in charge of each church. Be careful of how you treat God, angel. 
Be careful, because that angel could bring down the wrath of God upon you. People do things and don't know what they're doing, but I call on everyone, be careful how you talk against your pastor, whoever he or she might be. Be very, very careful what to do with the angel of the Lord. May God encompass all our churches with heavenly hosts, and may our pastors be secure in the right sure. hand of Jesus Christ and love their congregation as Christ loved his church. Amen. Amen, Amen, Amen. my friend. I hope you got this lesson today. I hope it bless your heart. Go, Pastor Ho, for the closing. Um, so, uh, you know, we're going to be studying the book of Revelation over the next couple of weeks. And um, the focus must be kept on Jesus Christ. And I think oftentimes we get caught up into, you know, when is the world going to end? How is it going to end? What's going to happen? What does this signify? What does this mean? And we look at the things that are happening on the world stage, uh, politically, socially, um, otherwise, and we're just trying to make sense of it all. But we are encouraged here that the focus must be kept on Jesus Christ. He is the revealer of and the reason for the book. As a son of man, he is able to identify with our human temptations. And this actually blessed me. He said he is able to identify with our human temptations, our frailties, our fears, and our concerns. And I'm sure everybody at the, at the hearing of my voice have many concerns, concerned about your health, you're concerned about the political climate, you're concerned about the, the, the COVID, you know, the virus, you're concerned about, you know, your, the, the well-being and the livelihood of your family. There's so many concerns, so many fears, uh, you know, our frailties, our temptations. But as the Son of God, he has received glory, honor, Amen. and power. Hallelujah. Amen. As the Son of God, he has received glory, honor, and power. Therefore, he is able to protect us and deliver us from the worst of times and And circumstances. circumstances. That just just blessed me. He is able to protect us and deliver us from the worst of times and circumstances. He still stands in the midst of of his church. The yes. gates of hell shall not yes. prevail against it. Amen. And we're just so thankful for this lesson to remind us that Jesus Christ is still in the midst of his church. He still stands there and he still has all power and he still has all authority. He still has received glory and honor. And we, as his people, ought to rejoice in the fact that we are the redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Senior pastor, if you can, just close us out in prayer. And as we close out, he came out of the grave victorious. He laid down his life that he might take it up again, showing himself to be the living one. As the resurrected Savior, Jesus holds the master keys of death and paradise with all their mysteries. There is a light, 
And I repeat, there is a light shining from the empty tomb that time will never put out. Everyone who walks in the light will one day say with Christ, I am alive or forevermore. Bow your heads with me. And if you are not saved today, if you have not strengthened your stakes in the Lord, if you are going on and you are not a strong Christian, because things are going to come one day that will try you, try your testimony, see where you stand with Christ, I encourage you today to get deeper in the Lord, to say, Lord, hold my hand, because we do not know when we're going to die. We do not know when the pandemic might come our way. It might be tomorrow. It might never come. But our times are in the hands of Lord. Bow your heads with me as we pray this morning. Father, we bless your holy name. Thank you for your words, the words that you have given unto us today. They bring life and strength and encouragement to us today. Help us as we walk this way. Oh, treacherous sometimes, hard sometimes. Sometimes we feel down. We feel that it's all in vain to live a Christian life and to walk in Jesus' name. But may we be encouraged today because you hold the power and you are worthy today to receive glory, honor, and power. And because of that, you are able to protect us and to deliver us from the worst of times and circumstances. Some of us have circumstances beyond our control and we don't know what to do. But as you stand in the midst of your church, uh, oh God, we believe you today. We believe in your wonder-working power and you who conquered death and hell. You are the same yesterday. You are alive forevermore. And you have the keys of death and of hell. Oh, God, help us today. And we praise you for the inflowing of your divine love, which will make our lives ever the unveiling of thyself. Oh, God, as we experience revelation, the revelation of thy ways among the children of men, our minds, our sanctuaries of thy lowly spirit which takes the common things of life and makes them beautiful. Oh God, we join in humble prayer and draw your thanksgiving that we may every day wisely use and generously share our unmerited blessings, that thy ways may be made known upon the earth, and in so doing justify every noble heritage, every worthy trust, and every gift of thy love. Oh, we praise you today for the compelling desire in our hearts to to identify yourself with the Christianhood. Oh, God, we make our supplication to an ever-patient Father to help us to become guardians of our home. Oh, God, in all circumstances, we should practice the virtues of love which understand, forgive, and are patient, serene, and unselfish, 
so that our family living may be rich in religious experience, equipping each member for all the demands of life. Oh, with the assurance of thy help, we give ourselves to you today with consecration yes, to these high purposes of our Christian faith and confident in you that we may grow above the shallow and important and the trivial to find for ourselves the significance, the sanctity, and the nobility of life to the glory of Christ and his church. We dedicate our greatest gifts, uh, our lives to you today. Bless everyone today. Oh, God, in the train of the man of Galilee, who was God, example of the master of life, uh, who caused us to come up higher in personal purity and to strive towards perfection. As our Father in heaven is perfect, uh, so help us to perfect ourselves in you. We heal our wills to your will today and pray for power to follow in your footsteps. Oh, bless us today. Hear us today. Touch us today. Oh, God, and we pledge our loyalty to your church without class or human creed. Oh, God, help us to love one another. Help us to love each other. Help us to support each other, to respect each other. And we say now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ and to all generations forever and ever. Bless your children today and may we have a prosperous and glorious week as we bask in your love. Bless us, Lord, and we thank thee for your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And it-